Thank God. Numbers chapter 22. Numbers is in the Old Testament. It's one of the uh, Pentateuch books, which means five. It's in the very beginning of the Bible. I uh, want to minister on something that I really do believe in this evening, and, and uh, I've called it Balaam's Almost Curse. And it is the reality that there are people who speak, pray, and actually try to curse the people of God. I had preached a sermon on witchcraft when I was the pastor of Chicopee, and if you know the Chicopee building, we actually used to be right across the street from where they are now. We were on the third floor, and we were we had prayer on the second floor, and it had these big old windows. It's an it's an old building, and so I was praying one day there, and and uh, I was facing the window, and I saw a nun walk by our building. What really caught my attention about this nun is she deliberately did not walk through the parking lot that is next to the building. And she came down and she turned and walking through the parking lot would have made for a shorter distance. Most people are lazy. Most people would cut through the parking lot. She didn't. Well, I didn't think that much of it because it was a beautiful little summer evening and uh, just going on our business. And as we went on for a little while longer, probably 10, 15 minutes later in prayer, here she comes again. Now, she had to be five foot, four foot eight, five foot nothing, you know, just real small one, 90 pounds soaking wet. Just, you know, one of these kind of little petite little ladies. And so I see her and now she's really got my attention. I'm kind of trying to figure out, I'm seeing in her hand, she's doing something like this. So I asked one of the young girls there, I said, hey, would you go down and ask that nun what she's doing? And so at this point, prayer meeting's probably pretty much older, over. Everybody's kind of watching her at the window. Like she's really got our attention. So Diana goes downstairs. Now, this is a 20-year-old girl. She goes downstairs. She comes out the door. We're watching. We can see the nun see her turn and start running. Now she's in her whole nun regard with the habit and the and the and the robe and everything. And she's probably 75 years old. Like I said, this real small petite woman. Diana caught up with her in no time flat. She actually got to the intersection and turned. She went in front of what their building is today. Said, uh, excuse me, what were you doing? And she had some kind of East uh, European accent, probably uh, from Portugal. But she uh, she said, oh, I'm just out for a walk. But she had rosaries in her hand. She was actually walking around our building, praying against us. Now this is I I had just preached a sermon just literally weeks before on witchcraft and people praying against us. And so God just really confirmed, and especially as we get near their high holiday, 
we need to consider people who try to do this. Numbers 21, uh, Numbers 22 rather, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw what they had uh, Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid because the people were, were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, uh, Midian Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of of the Moabites at the time. He sent messengers messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at uh, Peor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, called saying, Look. People has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Please, therefore, come at once and curse these people, for they are too mighty for me. And perhaps I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For now I know that whom uh, I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he who you curse. Is cursed. This is a king. He's in a desperate place. Here's the children of Israel settling next to uh, them. They're about to cross the Jordan. He's freaking out. Now, to put this all in modern so that if you have a little bit of understanding of the geography of the Middle East, they are in the Jordan side of the Jordan River. And this is where the Moabites live. This is what's going to become the land of the Gad, of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh and uh, uh, the other tribe that stays with them. Uh, the two and a half tribes will occupy Gad, uh, the Reubenites and half the tribe of Manasseh will occupy this land that they defeat after this war because of what this king is doing. But he's worried about them. He sees them and he says, I need To curse them so that I can defeat them. There is something real that we have to understand about the power of curses and words. Words are spiritual. Words are powerful. Words have tremendous uh, abilities to accomplish things. Uh, We believe that in the good. We just had a prayer meeting. In that prayer meeting, we were using words to to touch God to see circumstances change. As we uh, uh, read uh, the prayer requests for healing, uh, we are believing that God will intervene in these bodies. Uh, We're speaking about our city, our nation, uh, that God would move our baby churches, uh, divine favor, uh, Contacts, whatever it would take. Uh, we believe those words. We had a time of praise uh, where we're lifting up. We sing some songs. These aren't just buffer time for those who are late for work. Let's sing some songs so that if somebody doesn't get out of work until 7 o'clock, they can be here and hear all the preaching. Or if the cynics would be for the offering. 
Right? That, that's not what it's to invite the presence of God in. Our words carry tremendous power. But this is also in the negative. When there are things like sickness, confusion, condemnation, depression, weariness, when new converts don't seem to get it, when there's family problems, unexplained money problems, uh, just irritation of life, just the little things in life that, that just weigh on you. Sometimes there's a reason for them. For instance, money problems, if you're spending more than you're making, that's not witchcraft. We could bind that all day long and nothing's going to change. I remember a friend of mine, he got pulled over by the police uh, and he bound the spirit of speeding out of his car. And the policeman actually, it was a woman, gave him a warning, let him go. And he immediately left uh, and lit up the tires. And he said, oh, I realized the spirit wasn't in the car. <laughs> now, this is just him. He just liked to drive fast. But there is a reality that when there is no other logical reason why these things are happening, then maybe it's spiritual. Now, as Western-minded people, educated, raised on science, you start talking about spiritual people, spiritual issues like this. Oh, that's fine. I, witchcraft, sorcery, evil thing. They, they believe in that in South America. They believe in that in Africa. They believe in that in Asia. But, but, but you're in the United States of America. America. Were you crazy? It's America. They don't believe in that. Well, I got news for you. It may wear a suit and tie in some places. It may come in forms of music or all sorts of other ways, but it's real. Ephesians 6, 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against a host of wickedness in heavenly places. The message version says this of verse Ephesians 6, 12, this is no af afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, life or death. Fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. That the reality of this is the power that comes in words. In verse 6 of our text, King Balak says to Balaam, please come at once and curse these people for me. They're too mighty for me. And perhaps I'll be able to defeat them, drive them out of the land, for I know whom you bless is blessed, and whom you curse is cursed. He says, I know there's a power. There's some kind of demonic, if you will, anointing upon this man that he's able to speak words. a spiritual arena. Like I said in the positive, Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his 12 sons and he speaks words over them. Not all of them are really exciting words, but he does speak prophecy over them. In, verse, in chapter 48, he had spoken it over 
his two grandsons, Joseph's two sons. In Genesis 27, it had been done to him as Isaac had spoke over Jacob and blessed him. And you, if you know the story, Esau was supposed to get that blessing. He didn't get it from some trickery of his, of him and, 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 uh, Jacob and his mom were, his mom was involved in this and speaks this out. And Esau comes in and he's weeping. He says, isn't there a blessing left for me? These words of power. Second Samuel, we read about uh, a man uh, named Shimei. Shimei, he's a very interesting man. He's probably the fa- uh, uh, father or grandfather of Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the one who David had had a, an adulterous affair, got pregnant and murdered uh, her husband. Uh, and so when David now is fleeing from his son Absalom, who's in rebellion, he comes out and he curses David. He speaks curses, speaks against him. And those who were with David said, Let's, let me go kill him. And David said, well, let's see what he says, if it happens or not. Acts chapter 16, when Paul was in Corinth, it says, and now it happened after we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination. That word divination is actually the word python. Met us and brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. And she did this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. Now, she's saying some words here that sound right, but I'm sure the spirit, in the way she did it, began to weigh on Paul. There's something twisted in her. You go back to Chicopee when I was there. We had a building, another building. It was on Memorial Drive, which is kind of the main drag of Chicopee. And when we were there, we rented a small storefront building. We were next to a pet store. And in our plaza was a pet store, a pizza store, a convenience store, a gas station. Then across the street was another plaza. And in that plaza was an occult bookstore. And so I knew I had seen this woman who owned the bookstore in the convenience store. It was one of those times we walked in. I had never actually met her, and we locked eyes. Like, oh, I know who you are. They call it familiar spirits for a reason. She's looking at me. I'm looking at her. I didn't say anything. I might have said bye. I don't know. It wasn't much. A couple of days later, I had, now I have to explain this to the kids. Years ago, telephones used to have a cord and they were attached to the wall. And when someone called, you actually had to answer the phone to see who it was. It didn't come up on your number as a number on your phone. Then they introduced caller identification or caller ID. And you could see the number that was calling you. And this was revolutionary technology 
back in the 90s. I mean, dinosaurs had just gone extinct, uh, and now they had caller ID. I mean, we were, we were rocketing towards the, the new century. But anyway, as, so I get this call, and it's the bookstore. I'm like, wonder why she's calling me. <laughs> so I pick up the phone. Hello? 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 So I hang up. And I call her back because I got her number. I said, excuse me, um, you just called me. Why? And she was a little Indian woman. She um, um, wrong number. I said, no, it wasn't. I sent it back. Because she's speaking words that I can't hear, but she spoke them. She's trying to put a curse on me, on the church. Shortly after that, I got a call from Florida. And again, I called the, it back. It was a woman. I'm like, hello, you just called me. And she, her immediate reaction was, I don't have time for this. I said, you had time to pick up the phone and dial my number. I don't have time for this. I said, you know what, neither do I. And I'm sending it back. Let it be upon your head. Flip. I'll get to all the sending back in business in just a minute. It is real, and they try to use words against this. This is what Balak wants Balaam to do. Speak words against the children of Israel. Acts chapter 13, we read of uh, Paul, and they're on their very first missionary journey. And as they go, they go to the Isle of Paphos. And when they're there, they meet a certain sorcerer. They call it, it the Bible says in verse 6, a, a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew who was named Bar-Jesus, who sat with the proconsul, Sergei Paulus, an intelligent man, and this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus, which is his word name in the Greek, withstood them trying to turn the proconsul away from the truth. He's withstanding them. Now, this isn't clear exactly how he's doing this, uh, but no doubt words are involved here. He's speaking. He might be even praying. By the end of the actually the last verse of Numbers 22 and the entire chapter 23, we get a little bit of a understanding of the three ways, the three strategies that these people will use. It is it's revealed very clearly. But first, Balak takes Balaam up to the mountain and he can see the entire camp, and he says, "Curse them now." If you know the story, the angel of God had met Balaam while he was riding his donkey. The donkey was smarter than he was and saved his life. Uh, and uh, uh, it's really bad when a donkey's smarter than you. And there are other words for a donkey. I'll just leave it at that. When a donkey is smarter than you. Balaam then goes to, and he's nervous now because the angel would have killed him. And so now he's, he's on full alert. But the strategy is still worth looking at. He, Balaam take, Balak takes him up and shows him the entire camp. There are the general curses. They will actually try to curse the people of God. Roger Fish, Roger Napier, 
as a pastor in our fellowship in Portland, Oregon. I uh, might have shared this story before. He's actually a Buffalo boy. Grew up in Buffalo, joined the Air Force and married an English girl, Heidi, and uh, they now pastor in Portland, Oregon. But he pastored for a number of years in England, Newcastle. And while he was there, he became friendly with the Assembly of God pastor, who was also in Newcastle. And he said it was very interesting. One day the the uh, 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 woman got saved in his church, in the Assembly of God church. And so they brought her, her to the pastor to introduce, said, hi, uh, this is our pastor. She says, yes, Pastor Mike, guys, nice to meet you. Your, your, your wife's name is Mary. He looks at her like, I've never met you before in my life. How do you know this? She says, oh, yes, and your counsel is, I don't know, John, Paul, Ringo, and George. I don't know, whoever they were. She names them. She says, I, how do you know that? She said, oh, I was part of a witch's coven here in Newcastle. We've been praying against you and your council by name for years. Bert Flodiris, pastors in Holland, he was for a short time, for a while he was even the leader of China. He did a miracle healing crusade in, 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 um, in Holland. And he had invited me to be one of the preachers at it. I would preach on the Sunday after the uh, uh, after Pastor Mitchell had done the crusade. And I did that for many years. And one of the pastors there coined it as the empty tent ministry. Because you'd have 900 people there Saturday night and 70 Sunday morning. But anyway, because uh, the entire, all the churches in Holland would be there. And so... As we were there, I woke up Sunday morning. I had had this horrible dream. The dream was that I had committed adultery, wasted all our finances, and was doing all these horrible things. I wake up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm a sinner. I'm Wait a second. I didn't do those things. Right? And so I, I start asking Pastor Bluderis. I'm like, have you been getting telephone calls and things? He goes, yeah, I got a few, and I... Nobody's there, and I was thinking people called about the crusade and got nervous and wouldn't say anything. I said, what was going on in your house? He said, oh, oh, we were tense and irritated as can be. Reuben, his second oldest boy, Reuben is one of the most mellowest men I think I could ever meet in my life. It's kind of, if you want to know what I think he's like, he's like Jeremy. Just mellow. You know, unfazed. Right? Not no big emotional swings, just cool functions. He and his dad were ready to go duke it out. Sixteen years old at the time. He's ready to go. His father, who's six foot five, he's I'm hoping he's coming to preach for us next year, had to kind of slam him down on the couch and read him the riot act and 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 hold it and just the tension and the between him and his wife and all of this and I said yeah it's witchcraft I went to the conference I preached at the conference on witchcraft had people stand up who's getting telephone calls different things text messages whatever two thirds of the conference stood up numbers of people came to me afterwards pain left this left this left this left 
had a friend, a missionary in Romania. He's got to make a decision. He's actually leaving the country. He's getting all these bizarre text messages from a rebel in the church that words and it's confusing and just putting in his mind these problems. Numbers 22.41 says, So the next day Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high place of Baal that they might observe the extent of the people. He wants to curse everybody. There are people who want to curse our churches. When I preached on witchcraft in Chicopee, I said, if you're getting telephone calls, come up again. This is before caller ID and all that. I'm not talking about, you know, hi, your student loans or your, you know, Obamacare or your car's extended warranty or all the other nonsense. I was actually in, I don't know if it was Home Depot or Lowe's the other day, and I heard this guy, he got this one on the student loans. He said, well, I went to college in 1936, and I'll tell you what, they didn't have student loans back then, so I don't think mine needs to be refinanced. <laughs> Would you please take me off your list? <laughs> I'm like, touche, dude, touche. And so, you know, I'm not talking about those. Those are just irritating. But there are people trying to curse the church, pray against the potter's house, pray against, and again, like I said, sickness, confusion, condemnation, depression, weariness. New converts that don't seem to get it, family problems, money problems, and irritations that don't make sense. He can't do it. God intervenes. So in Numbers 23, 13, then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place, which you may see them, but you shall only see the outer part of them. You shall not see them all. Curse them for me there. So then he aims for the fringers. Those who aren't totally tied in yet. New converts and people who are struggling need our prayers. They're the target of hell, the less spiritual people. It's not necessarily the people who come to prayer, pay their tithe, they're in every service. That's not who, the, this is not who this is. This is the people who show up every once in a while. Who haven't seemed to quite, the penny hasn't dropped yet. They'll target them very specifically. As an evangelist, I saw a very tragic pattern in so many, so many churches. They were churches that had people that were either saved for 25 years or more or two years or less. And they didn't seem to have anybody else in the middle. And I think that was tragic because the spiritual battle, somewhere along the line, they didn't understand. The demonic strategy that would be against this. When that doesn't work out because God intervenes again, in Numbers 23, 28, so, Balaam, so Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the wasteland. Now these would be the people who couldn't move as quick. These would be the sick or the hurt. These would be the elderly or the very young. 
the overburdened. They wouldn't even necessarily have to be people who weren't healthy, just overburdened. Maybe they hurt themselves, whatever it would be. That now they can't move as fast at that moment. It's not that they're, any of these people are evil. It's just that these are the struggling, the weak. Uh, this is why Galatians uh, tells us that it is our job uh, in Galatians chapter 1, it's our job to take care of those, if you're spiritually minded, to take care of those who are overcome and restore them, lest it happen to you. Because you know what? At any time, one of us could get hurt, offended, upset, or overburdened. And all of a sudden, we're not moving as fast anymore. We're not talking about entering into sin and, and rebellion and unrighteous. He's talking about life. There are changes of life. There's things that happen at seasons and things that can overwhelm and burden people. And there is real issues of witchcraft. I want to talk to you finally about God is on our side. Balaam's plans wouldn't work. Balak God worked against him and overthrew him every time. Moses says in the book of Deuteronomy that even if he had spoken, God wouldn't have listened to Balaam. But there are still people who are trying. There are still people, even maybe at this moment, that are trying to work against us. In the New Testament, the picture there is those, Jesus calls them serpents and scorpions. That word divination is the word python, a snake. In, Deuter in Luke chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, the uh, 70 had come back. They had seen all sorts of good things. They said, we saw uh, demons cast out in your name. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. But he says, he says in verse 19, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In Matthew, in, in, the, some, sorry, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, These signs shall follow them that believe. He lists five of them. And one of them is that they shall take up Serpents. Now, there's some boys down in West Virginia that have a big hole in the pit in the middle of their church, and they got rattlers down there. And if you're feeling really, really spiritual, you can jump down there and try to grab one of them and pick it up. Good luck. I say, what if it bites you? Well, there must be sin in your life. That's what they'll tell you. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying you have authority over these. But you have to exercise it. Isaiah 54 and verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. You have to condemn it. 
You have to speak against it. Jesus takes Peter and the disciples up to Caesarea Philippi. This was a 30-mile round trip. Uh, uh, No, I'm sorry, 30-mile one-way journey. On that journey, he did no miracles. He took them up there for an objective lesson. In that lesson, when he takes them there, he asks them, who do men say that I am? And of course, the answer comes back, you're a prophet, you're this, you're that. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And blessed are you, Simon, you know, God, God has revealed this to you. But, and then he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He says that terminology again in Matthew 18. And in context, it's now in the context of prayer. Binding and loosing. Binding on earth, bound in heaven. Loosing on earth, loosed in heaven. The picture, the understanding is that we have to use our words against their words. We do that by praying against their prayer. Psalms 109 says, As he loved cursing, let it so come to him. As he did not delight in blessing, so let it be far from him. Goes on in verse 28 of Psalms 109. Let them curse, but you bless. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servants rejoice. So Psalms 109 is telling us, and you can read it all in context, that as we pray, you know what? If they're cursing me, let their curse be upon their own head. They'll learn not to curse. Sending back their words. My wife was at a East Coast Bible conference many years ago, and her feet were hurting. I mean, hurting or just killing her, just like, oh. and I was trying to help her. I would massage her feet. I was kind of a good husband and all, trying to, you know, work this through. And nothing, I mean, nothing. She'd buy new shoes, which I don't know, most women wouldn't think is a bad thing. But, you know, it wasn't helping her feet. There's a reason why that malls are full of shoe stores and Jewish stuff. <laughs> anyway, uh, and so, you know, nothing was helping. Pastor Kevin Foley preached a sermon on gossip, prayed for especially the pastor's wife. They sent back the words and the pain left her. Wow, that's interesting. About a year and a half later, we left Chicopee. We went on staff on Cape Cod as the assistant pastors there. And all of a sudden, my feet started hurting. I mean, like, wow, man. So I thought it was the new job. I don't new shoes. I bought a pair of new shoes. Nothing. It's like, this is killing me. What's going on? Find out that there's someone speaking against me. Total rebellion. Total working against the purposes of God. Broke the curse, sent it back. Strange pain. You have to, some, you have to deal with it. Your responsibility in all of this is to do what's right. Luke 6, 28. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who despitefully use you 
Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute, bless and do not curse. It is not our job to send a curse. Just send back whatever they're praying. If they're praying blessing and you send it back accidentally, good for them. If they were praying you would die, let it be upon their heads. But I'm not wishing they would die. I'm not praying a curse upon them. That's not what we do. That's not what Christians do. We curse them. Kill them. I mean, if I really wanted to, there'd probably be some people. I could think of a list. Probably a long list. This is the danger of listening to too much talk radio. Because you will have a list. All right. Sickness, confusion, condemnation, depression, weariness, newcomers that don't get it, family problems, money problems, irritation. What's going on? Witchcraft. This was in Christianity Today in 1993 in this December 13th issue. Page 26 if you're interested. Dudley Woodbury recounted an incident in Nigeria where a Muslim man had hired a local shaman or a local witch doctor to curse a group of evangelizing Christians so that they would die. But instead, the Muslim man got sick and the shaman could not lift the spell. So in desperation, the Muslim asked the Christians whom he tried to curse to pray for him. They did, and he was delivered. Realizing where the power came from, this Muslim man became a follower of Christ. It's a real thing we're talking about. In context, don't let it become your obsession. But the reality is, people do pray against us. People do speak against us. It is our responsibility to send it back and to pray against those who want to do us damage. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. First and foremost, if you're here tonight and you're not right with God, you're not saved, you're not born again, forgiven, you cannot tell me with a surety that your sins are forgiven. It would be our privilege to pray with you, to say a simple prayer, some simple words, admitting you're a sinner, Confessing Jesus Christ's blood on Calvary's cross was payment enough for your sins. That you could be born again. And your life could be changed. God could do a miracle for you. If that's you tonight, you're not right with God. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand very quickly. Pray for me. I'm not right with God. I'm backslidden. I knew God at one time. I turned away. I need to come back very quickly. We're going to change. Move on in just a moment. And I want to change the call then to Christians. This is real. I don't preach this all the time because I don't want to dwell on this all the time, but it's real. It should be somewhere between, Lord, send me money. Save Aunt Susie. Send me money. Bless Uncle Bob. Heal Aunt Sally. Send me money. We need to... What, you don't pray that way? We need to add in. I'm sending back the curses, the prayers against me, the the ones that are the, sending me text messages that, or calls or whatever it might be. 
I'm not sending a curse. I'm sending back the curse that they sent in. That's the way we need to handle this. That's the biblical way of dealing with witchcraft. And God will give us a great victory. Let's all stand. We're going to do one thing right after this, but I want to open these altars and allow people to find a place to pray for just a few minutes. And then I'm going to pray with you. Believe God for great deliverance. What's up? Who is like our God? No Ooh. Mm-hmm.